Chapter 7 of Star Surgeon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Star Surgeon by Alan E. Norse. Read by Scott D. Farquhar. Chapter 7 Alarms and Excursions. Once more, the crew of the Lancet settled down to routine, and the incident on Marwa 8 seemed almost forgotten. But a change had come about in the relations between the three doctors, and in every way the change was for the better. If Jack Alvarez was not exactly cordial to Dal Timgar, at least he had dropped the open antagonism that he had shown before. Apparently Tiger's angry outburst had startled Jack, as though he had never really considered that the big Earthman might honestly be attached to his friend from Garve too, and the Blue Doctor seemed sincere in his agreement to work with Dal and Tiger as a team. But bit by bit, Dal could sense that the change in Jack's attitude went deeper than the surface. "'You know, I really think he was scared of me,' Dal said one night when he and Tiger were alone. "'Sounds silly, but I think it's true.' He pretends to be so sure of himself, but I think he's as worried about doing things wrong as we are, and just won't admit it. And he really thought I was a threat when I came aboard. He probably had a good thorough briefing from Black Dr. Tanner before he got the assignment, Tiger said grimly. Maybe, but somehow I don't think he cares for the Black Doctor much more than we do. But whatever the reason, much of the tension was gone when the Lancet had left the Morrowind system behind. A great weight seemed to have been lifted, and if there was not quite peace on board, at least there was an uneasy truce. Tiger and Jack were almost friendly, talking together more often and getting to know each other better. Jack still avoided Dal and seldom included him in conversations, but the open contempt of the first few weeks on the ship now seemed tempered somewhat. Once again the Lancet's calls fell into a pattern. Landings on the outpost planets became routine, bright spots in a lonely and wandering existence. The calls that came in represented few real problems. The ship stopped at one contract planet to organize a mass inoculation program against a parasitic infestation resembling malaria. They paused at another place to teach the native doctors the use of some new surgical instruments that had been developed in hospital earth laboratories just for them. Frantic emergency calls usually proved to involve trivial problems, but once or twice potentially serious situations were spotted early before they could develop into real trouble. And as the three doctors got used to the responsibilities of patrol ships' rounds and grew more confident of their ability to handle the problems thrust upon them, they found themselves working more and more efficiently as a team. This was the way the general practice patrol was supposed to function. Each doctor had unsuspected skills that came to light. There was no questioning Jack Alvarez's skill as a diagnostician, but it seemed uncanny to Dal the way the slender, dark-haired Earthman could listen carefully to a medical problem of an alien race on a remote planet, and then seem to know exactly which questions to ask to draw out the significant information about the situation. 
Tiger was not nearly as quick and clever as Jack. He needed more time to ponder a question of medical treatment, and he would often spend long hours poring over the data tapes before deciding what to do in a given case. But he always seemed to come up with an answer, and his answers usually worked. Above all, Tiger's relations with the odd life forms they encountered were invariably good. The creatures seemed to like him and would follow his instructions faithfully. Dal, too, had opportunities to demonstrate that his surgical skill and judgment was not universally faulty in spite of the trouble on Morrowa 8. More than once he succeeded in almost impossible surgical cases where there was no time to call for help, and little by little he could sense Jack's growing confidence in his abilities, grudging though it might be. Dal had ample time to mull over the thing that had happened on Marwa 8 and to think about the interview with Black Dr. Tanner afterward. He knew he was glad that Tiger had intervened even on the basis of a falsehood. Until Tiger had spoken up, Dal had been certain that the Black Doctor fully intended to use the incident as an excuse to discharge him from the General Practice Patrol. There was no question in his mind that the Black Doctor's charges had been exaggerated into a trumped-up case against him, and there was no question that Tiger's insistence on taking the blame had saved him. He could not help being thankful. Yet there was something about it that disturbed Dal, nibbling away persistently at his mind. He couldn't throw off the feeling that his own acceptance of Tiger's help had been wrong. Part of it, he knew, was his native inbred loathing for falsehood. Fair or unfair, Dal had always disliked lying. Among his people, the truth might be bent occasionally, but frank lying was considered a deep disgrace, and there was a Garvian saying that a false tongue wins no true friends. Garvian traitors were known throughout the galaxy as much for their rigid adherence to their word as they were for the hard bargains they could drive. Dal had been enormously confused during his first months on Hospital Earth by the way Earthmen seemed to accept lying as part of their daily life, unconcerned about it as long as the falsehood could not be proven. But something else about Tiger's defense of him bothered Dal far more than the falsehood, something that had vaguely disturbed him ever since he had known the big Earthman, and that now seemed to elude him every time he tried to pinpoint it. Lying in his bunk during a sleep period, Dal remembered vividly the first time he had met Tiger early in the second year of medical school. Dal had almost despaired by then of making friends with his hostile and resentful classmates, and had begun more and more to avoid contact with them, building up a protective shell and relying on Fuzzy for company or comfort. Then Tiger had found him eating lunch by himself in the medical school lounge one day, and flopped down in the seat beside him and began talking as if Dal were just another classmate. Tiger's open friendliness had been like a spring breeze to Dal, who was desperately lonely in this world of strangers. Their friendship had grown rapidly, and gradually others in the class had begun to thaw enough at least to be civil when Dal was around. Dal had sensed that this change of heart was largely because of Tiger, and not because of him, yet he had welcomed it as a change from the previous intolerable coldness, even though it left him feeling vaguely uneasy. Tiger was well-liked by the others in the class. 
Dal had been grateful more than once when Tiger had risen in hot defense of the Garvian's right to be studying medicine among Earthmen in the school on Hospital Earth. But that had been in medical school, among classmates. Somehow that had been different from the incident that occurred on Marwa 8, and Dal's uneasiness grew stronger than ever the more he thought of it. Talking to Tiger about it was no help. Tiger just grinned and told him to forget it, but even in the rush of shipboard activity, it stubbornly refused to be forgotten. One minor matter also helped to ease the tension between the doctors as they made their daily rounds. Tiger brought a pink dispatch sheet in to Dal one day, grinning happily. This is from the weekly news capsule, he said. It ought to cheer you up. It was a brief news note listed under incidental items. The Black Service of Pathology, it said, has announced that Black Dr. Hugo Tanner will enter Hospital Philadelphia within the next week for prophylactic heart surgery. In keeping with usual Hospital Earth administrative policy, the four-star Black Doctor will undergo a total cardiac transplant to halt the medical education administrator's progressively disabling heart disease. The note went on to name the surgeons who would officiate at the procedure. Dal smiled and handed back the dispatch. Maybe it will improve his temper, he said, even if it does give him another fifty years of active life. Well, at least it will take him out of our hair for a while, Tiger said. He won't have time to keep us under too close scrutiny. Which Dal was forced to admit did not make him too unhappy. Shipboard rounds kept all three doctors busy. Often, with contact landings, calls, and studying, it seemed only a brief time from sleep period to sleep period, but still they had some time for minor luxuries. Dal was almost continuously shivering, with the ship kept at a temperature that was comfortable for Tiger and Jack. He missed the tropical heat of his home planet, and sometimes it seemed that he was chilled down to the marrow of his bones in spite of his coat of gray fur. With a little homemade plumbing and ingenuity, he finally managed to convert one of the ship's shower units into a steam bath. Once or twice each day he would retire for a blissful half-hour, warming himself up to Garve II normal temperatures. Fuzzy also became a part of shipboard routine. Once he grew accustomed to Tiger and Jack and the surroundings aboard the ship, the little creature grew bored sitting on Dal's shoulder and wanted to be in the middle of things. Since the early tension had eased, he was willing to be apart from his master from time to time, so Dal and Tiger built him a platform that hung from the ceiling of the control room. There Fuzzy would sit and swing by the hour, blinking happily at the activity going on all around him. But for all the appearance of peace and agreement, there was still an undercurrent of tension on board the Lancet which flared up from time to time when it was least expected between Dal and Jack. It was on one such occasion that a major crisis almost developed, and once again Fuzzy was the center of the contention. Dal Timgar knew that disaster had struck at the very moment it happened, but he could not tell exactly what was wrong. All he knew was that something fearful had happened to Fuzzy. There was a small soundproof cubicle in the computer room, with a chair, desk, and tape reader for the doctors when they had odd moments to spend reading up on recent medical bulletins or reviewing their textbooks. 
Dal spent more time here than the other two. The temperature of the room could be turned up, and he had developed a certain fondness for the place with its warm gray walls and its soft, relaxing light. Here on the tapes were things that he could grapple with, things that he could understand. If a problem here eluded him, he could study it out until he had mastered it. The hours he spent here were a welcome retreat from the confusing complexities of getting along with Jack and Tiger. These long study periods were boring for Fuzzy, who wasn't much interested in the oxygen exchange mechanism of the intelligent beetles of Aldebaran VI. Frequently, Dow would leave him to swing on his platform or explore about the control cabin while he spent an hour or two at the tape reader. Today, Dow had been working for over an hour. Deeply immersed in a review of the intermediary metabolism of chlorine-breathing mammals, when something abruptly wrenched his attention from the tape. It was as though a light had snapped off in his mind, or a door slammed shut. There was no sound, no warning, yet suddenly he felt dreadfully, frighteningly alone, as if in a split second something inside him had been torn away. He sat bolt upright, staring, and he felt his skin crawl and his fingers tremble as he listened, trying to spot the source of the trouble. And then, almost instinctively, he knew what was wrong. He leaped to his feet, tore open the door to the cubicle, and dashed down the hallway toward the control room. Fuzzy, he shouted. Fuzzy, where are you? Tiger and Jack were both at the control panel, dictating records for filing. They looked up in surprise as the Red Doctor burst into the room. Fuzzy's platform was hanging empty, gently swaying back and forth. Dal peered frantically around the room. There was no sign of the small pink creature. "'Where is he?' he demanded. "'What's happened to Fuzzy?' Jack shrugged in disgust. "'He's up on this perch. Where else?' "'He's not, either. Where is he?' Jack blinked at the empty perch. "'He was there just a minute ago. I saw him.' "'Well, he's not there now, and something's wrong.' In a panic, Dal began searching the room, knocking over stools, scattering piles of paper, peering in every corner where Fuzzy might be concealed. For a moment, the others sat frozen, watching him. Then Tiger jumped to his feet. Hold it, hold it! He, he probably just wandered off for a minute. He does that all the time. No, it's something worse than that. Dal was almost choking on the words. Something terrible has happened, I know it! Jack Alvarez tossed the recorder down in disgust. You and your miserable pet, he said. I knew we shouldn't have kept him on board. Dal stared at Jack. Suddenly, all the anger and bitterness of the past few weeks could no longer be held in. Without warning, he hurled himself at the Blue Doctor's throat. "'Where is he?' he cried. "'What have you done with him? What have you done to Fuzzy? You've done something to him. You've hated him every minute, just like you hate me. Only he's easier to pick on. Now where is he? What have you done with him?' Jack staggered back, trying to push the furious little Garvian away. "'Wait a minute. Get away from me. I didn't do anything.' You did too. Where is he? I don't know. Jack struggled to break free, but there was powerful strength in Dal's fingers for all his slight body build. I tell you, he was here just a minute ago. Dal felt a hand grip his collar then, and Tiger was dragging them apart like two dogs in a fight. Now stop this, he roared, holding them both at arm's length. I said stop it. Jack didn't do anything to Fuzzy. He's been sitting here with me ever since you went back to the cubicle. He hasn't even budged. 
but he's gone, Dal panted. Something's happened to him, I know it. How do you know? I, I just know, I can feel it. All right then, let's find him, Tiger said. He's got to be somewhere on the ship. If he's in trouble, we're wasting time fighting. Tiger let go, and Jack brushed off his shirt, his face very white. I saw him just a little while ago, he said. He was sitting up on that silly perch watching us and then swinging back and forth and swinging over to that cabinet and back. Well, let's get started looking, Tiger said. They fanned out, with Jack still muttering to himself, and searched the control room inch by inch. There was no sign of Fuzzy. Dal had control of himself now, but he searched with a frantic intensity. He's not in here, he said at last. He must have gone out somewhere. There was only one door open, Tiger said. The one you just came through from the rear corridor. Dal, you search the computer room. Jack, check the lab, and I'll go back to the reactors. They started searching the compartments off the rear corridor. For ten minutes there was no sound in the ship but the occasional slamming of a hatch, the grate of a desk drawer, the bang of a cabinet door. Dal worked through the maze of cubby holes in the computer room with growing hopelessness. The frightening sense of loneliness and loss in his mind was overwhelming. He was almost physically ill. The warm, comfortable feeling of contact that he had always had before with Fuzzy was gone. As the minutes passed, hopelessness gave way to despair. Then Jack gave a hoarse cry from the lab. Dal tripped and stumbled in his haste to get down the corridor and almost collided with Tiger at the lab door. "'I think we're too late,' Jack said. "'He's gotten into the formalin.' He lifted one of the glass beakers down from the shelf to the workbench. It was obvious what had happened. Fuzzy had gone exploring and had found the laboratory a fascinating place. Several of the reagents bottles had been knocked over as if he had been sampling them. The glass lid to the beaker of formalin, which was kept for tissue specimens, had been pushed aside just enough to admit the little creature's two-inch girth. Now Fuzzy lay in the bottom of the beaker, immersed in formalin, a formless, shapeless blob of sickly gray jelly. "'Are you sure it's formalin?' Dal asked. Jack poured off the fluid, and the acrid smell of formaldehyde that filled the room answered the question. "'It's no good, Dal,' he said almost gently. "'The stuff destroys protein, and that's about all he was. "'I'm sorry. I was beginning to like the little punk, even if he did get on my nerves. "'But he picked the one thing to fall into that could kill him. "'Unless he had some way to set up a protective barrier,' Dal took the beaker. "'Get me some saline,' he said tightly, "'and some nutrient broth.' Jack pulled out two jugs and poured their contents into an empty beaker. Dal popped the tiny limp form into the beaker and began massaging it. Layers of damaged tissue peeled off in his hand, but he continued massaging and changing the solutions, first saline, then nutrient broth. "'Get me some sponges and a blade.' Tiger brought them in. Carefully, Dal began debriding the damaged outer layers. Jack and Tiger watched. Then Jack said, "'Look, there's a tinge of pink in the middle.' Slowly, the faint pink in the center grew more ruddy. Dal changed solutions again and sank down on a stool. "'I think he'll make it,' he said. "'He has enormous regenerative powers as long as any fragment of him is left.' 
He looked up at Jack, who was still watching the creature in the beaker almost solicitously. I guess I made a fool of myself back there when I jumped you. Jack's face hardened, as though he had been caught off guard. I guess you did, all right. Well, I'm sorry. I just couldn't think straight. It was the first time I'd ever been apart from him. I still say he doesn't belong aboard, Jack said. This is a medical ship, not a menagerie. And if you ever lay your hands on me again, you'll wish you hadn't. I said I was sorry, Dal said. I heard you, Jack said. I just don't believe you, that's all. He gave Fuzzy a final glance and then headed back to the control room. Fuzzy recovered a much-abashed and subdued Fuzzy, clinging timorously to Dal's shoulder and refusing to budge for three days, but apparently basically unharmed by his inadvertent swim in the deadly formalin bath. Presently he seemed to forget the experience altogether, and once again took his perch on the platform in the control room. But Dal did not forget. He said little to Tiger and Jack, but the incident had shaken him severely. For as long as he could remember, he had always had Fuzzy close at hand. He had never before in his life experienced the dreadful feeling of emptiness and desertion, the almost paralyzing fear and helplessness that he had felt when Fuzzy had lost contact with him. It had seemed as though a vital part of him had suddenly been torn away, and the memory of the panic that followed sent chills down his back and woke him up trembling from his sleep. He was ashamed of his unwarranted attack on Jack, yet even this seemed insignificant in comparison to the powerful fear that had been driving him. Happily, the Blue Doctor chose to let the matter rest where it was, and if anything, seemed more willing than before to be friendly. For the first time he seemed to take an active interest in Fuzzy, chatting with him when he thought no one was around, and bringing him occasional tidbits of food after meals were over. Once more, life on the Lancet settled back to routine, only to have it shattered by an incident of quite a different nature. It was just after they had left a small planet in the Procyon system, one of the routine check-in points, that they made contact with the Garvian trading ship. Dal recognized the ship's design and insignia even before the signals came in, and could hardly contain his excitement. He had not seen a fellow countryman for years except for an occasional dull luncheon with the Garvian ambassador to Hospital Earth during medical school days. The thought of walking the corridors of a Garvian trading ship again brought an overwhelming wave of homesickness. He was so excited he could hardly wait for Jack to complete the radio sighting formalities. What ship is she? He wanted to know. What house? Jack handed him the message transcript. The ship is the Tigar, he said, flagship of the Sin Sin trading fleet. They want permission to approach us. Dal let out a whoop. Then it's a space trader and a big one. You've never seen ships like these before. Tiger joined them, staring at the message transcript. A Sin Sin ship? Send them the word, Jack, and be quick before they get disgusted and move on. Jack sent out the approach authorization, and they watched with growing excitement as the great trading vessel began its close approach maneuvers. 
The name of the House of Sinsin was famous throughout the galaxy. It was one of the oldest and largest of the great trading firms that had built Garv II into its position of leadership in the Confederation, and the Sinsin ships had penetrated to every corner of the galaxy, to every known planet harboring an intelligent life form. Tiger and Jack had seen the multitudes of exotic products in the Hospital Earth stores that came from the great Garvian ships on their frequent visits. But this was more than a planetary trader loaded with a few items for a single planet. The space traders roamed from star system to star system, their holds filled with treasures beyond number. Such ships as these might be out from Garv II for decades at a time, tempting any ship they met with the magnificent variety of wares they carried. Slowly the trader approached, and Dal took the speaker, addressing the commander of the Tigar in Garvian. This is the general practice patrol ship Lancet, he said, out from Hospital Earth with three physicians aboard, including a countryman of yours. Is that Dal Timgar? the reply came back. By the seven moons we'd heard that there was now a Garvian physician, and couldn't believe our ears. Come aboard, all of you. You'll be welcome. We'll send over a lifeboat. The Tigar was near now, a great gleaming ship with the sign of the House of Sinsin on her hull. A lifeboat sprang from the launching rack and speared across to the Lancet. Moments later, the three doctors were climbing into the sleek little vessel and moving across the void of space to the huge Garvian ship. It was like stepping from a jungle outpost village into a magnificent glittering city. The Garvian ship was enormous. She carried a crew of several hundred, and the wealth and luxury of the ship took the Earthmen's breath away. The cabins and lounges were paneled with expensive fabrics and rare woods, the furniture inlaid with precious metals. Down the long corridors, goods of the traders were laid out in resplendent display, surpassing the richest showcases in the shops on Hospital Earth. They received a royal welcome from the commander of the Tigar, an aged, smiling little Garvian with a pink fuzzball on his shoulder that could have been Fuzzy's twin. He bowed low to Tiger and Jack, leading them into the reception lounge where a great table was spread with foods and pastries of all varieties. Then he turned to Dal and embraced him like a long-lost brother. "'Your father, Jay Timgar, has long been an honored friend of the House of Sinsin,' And any one of the House of Timgar is the same as my own son and my son's son. But this collar, this cuff, is it really possible that a man of Garv has become a physician of Hospital Earth? Dal touched Fuzzy to the commander's fuzzball in the ancient Garvian greeting. It's possible and true, he said. I studied there. I am the Red Doctor on this patrol ship. Ah, but this is good, the commander said. What better way to draw our worlds together, eh? But come, you must look and see what we have in our storerooms. Feast your eyes on the splendors we carry. For all of you, a thousand wonders are to be found here. Jack hesitated as the commander led them back toward the display corridors. We'd be glad to see the ship, but you should know that patrol ship physicians have little money to spend. Who speaks of money? the commander cried. Did I speak of it? Come and look. Money is nothing. The Garvian traders are not mere money changers. Look and enjoy. 
If there is something that strikes your eye, something that would fulfill the desires of your heart, it will be yours. He gave Dal a smile and a sly wink. Surely our brother here has told you many times of the wonders to be seen in a space trader, and terms can be arranged that will make any small purchase a painless pleasure. He led them off like a head of state conducting visiting dignitaries on a tour, with a retinue of Garvian underlings trailing behind them. For two delirious hours they wandered the corridors of the great ship, staring hungrily at the dazzling displays. They had been away from Hospital Earth and its shops and stores for months. Now it seemed they were walking through an incredible treasure trove stocked with everything that they could possibly have wanted. For Jack, there was a dress uniform, specially tailored for a physician in the Blue Service of Diagnosis, the insignia woven into the cloth with gold and platinum thread. Reluctantly, he turned away from it, a luxury he could never dream of affording. For Tiger, who had been muttering for weeks about getting out of condition in the sedentary life of the ship, there was a set of barbells and gymnasium equipment, ingeniously designed to collapse into a unit no larger than one foot square, yet opening out into a completely equipped gym. Dal's eyes glittered at the new sets of surgical instruments, designed to the most rigid Hospital Earth specifications which appeared almost without his asking to see them. There were clothes and games, precious stones and exotic rings, watches set with Arcturian dream stones, and boots inlaid with silver. They made their way through the corridors, reluctant to leave one display for the next. Whenever something caught their eyes, the commander snapped his fingers excitedly, and the item was unobtrusively noted down by one of the underlings. Finally, exhausted and glutted just from looking, they turned back toward the reception room. The things are beautiful, Tiger said wistfully, but impossible. Still, you were very kind to take your time. Time? I have nothing but time, the commander smiled again to Dal. And there is an old Garvian proverb that, to the wise man, impossible has no meaning. Wait, you will see. They came out into the lounge, and the doctors stopped short in amazement. Spread out before them were all of the items that had captured their interest earlier. But this is ridiculous, Jack said, staring at the dress uniform. We couldn't possibly buy these things. It would take our salaries for twenty years to pay for them. Have we mentioned price even once? the commander protested. You are the crewmates of one of our own people. We would not dream of setting prices that we would normally set for such trifles as these. And as for terms, you have no worry. Take the goods aboard your ship. They are already yours. We have drawn up contracts for you which require no payment whatever for five years, and then payments of only a fiftieth of the value for each successive year. And for each of you, with the compliments of the House of Sinsin, a special gift at no charge whatever. He placed in Jack's hands a small box with the lid tipped back. Against a black velvet lining lay a silver star and the official insignia of a star physician in the blue service. You cannot wear it yet, of course, the commander said, but one day you will need it. Jack blinked at the jewel-like star. You are very kind, he said. I... I mean, perhaps... Uh, 
He looked at Tiger and then at the display of goods on the table. Perhaps there are some things. Already two of the Garvian crewmen were opening the lock to the lifeboat, preparing to move the goods aboard. Then Dal Timgar spoke up sharply. I think you better wait a moment, he said. And for you, the commander continued, turning to Dal so smoothly that there seemed no break in his voice at all. As one of our own people and an honored son of J. Timgar, who has been kind to the house of Sinsin for many years, I have something out of the ordinary. I'm sure your crewmates would not object to a special gift at my personal expense. The commander lifted a scarf from the table and revealed the glittering set of surgical instruments, neatly displayed in a velvet-lined carrying case. The commander took it up from the table and thrust it into Dal's hands. It is yours, my friend, and for this there will be no contract whatever. Dal stared down at the instruments. They were beautiful. He longed just to touch them, to hold them in his hands. But he shook his head and set the case back on the table. He looked up at Tiger and Jack. You should be warned that the prices on these goods are four times what they ought to be, and the deferred payment contracts he wants you to sign will permit as much as 24% interest on the unpaid balance, with no closing out clause. That means you would be paying many times the stated price for the goods before the contract is closed. You can go ahead and sign if you want, but understand what you are signing. The Garvian commander stared at him and then shook his head laughing. Oh, of course your friend is not serious, he said. These prices can be compared on any planet and you will see their fairness. Here, read the contracts, see what they say, and decide for yourselves. He held out a sheaf of papers. The contracts may sound well enough, Dal said, but I'm telling you what they actually say. Jack looked stricken. But surely just one or two things. Tiger shook his head. Dal knows what he's talking about. I don't think we better buy anything at all. The Garvian commander turned to Dal angrily. What are you telling them? There's nothing false in these contracts. I didn't say there was. I just can't see them taking a beating with their eyes shut, that's all. Your contracts are legal enough, but the prices and terms are piracy and you know it. The commander glared at him for a moment, then he turned away scornfully. So what I've heard is true after all, he said. You really have thrown in your lot with these pill peddlers, these idiots from Earth who can't even wipe their noses without losing in a trade. He signaled for the lifeboat pilot. Take them back to their ship. We're wasting our time. There are better things to do than deal with traitors. The trip back to the Lancet was made in silence. Dow could sense the pilot's scorn as he dumped them off in the entrance lock and dashed back to the Teagar with the lifeboat. Gloomily, Jack and Tiger followed Dal into the control room, a drab little cubbyhole compared to the Teagar's lounge. Well, it was fun while it lasted, Jack said finally, looking up at Dal. But the way that guy slammed you, I wished we'd never gone. I know, Dal said. The commander just thought he saw a perfect setup. He figured you'd never question the contracts if I backed him up. It would have been easy enough. Why didn't you? Dal looked at the blue doctor. Maybe I just don't like people who give away surgical sets, he said. Remember, I'm not a Garvian trader anymore. I'm a doctor from Hospital Earth.
Moments later, the great Garvian ship was gone, and the red light was blinking on the call board. Tiger started tracking down the call while Jack went back to work on the daily log book, and Dal set up food for dinner. The pleasant dreams were over. They were back in the harness of patrol ship doctors once again. Jack and Dal were finishing dinner when Tiger came back with a puzzled frown on his face. Finally traced that call. At least I think I did. Anybody ever hear of a star called 31 Brucker? Brucker, Jack said. It isn't on the list of contracts. What's the trouble? I'm not sure, Tiger said. I'm not even certain if it's a call or not. Come up front and see what you think. End of chapter 7